Good morning, and this morning we're going to be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. We're going to learn about a, an incredible conversion, a transformation of faith, and um, it's found in, I think on the screen it says it's 633 in your pew Bible, if you don't have a Bible with you. Join with me as I read from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Then Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Then the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to hear my name before, to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, he has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some time with the, disciples, with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Father God, we thank you so much for this example of, of transformation. A person who um, fought against you and, and uh, captured your people and, and threw them into prison, but yet you saw a, a special need in him. And you see a special need in us as well. And I thank you, Father, that you have transformed us when we trust in you and you uh, place us on a road that is filled with hope and promise.
God, thank you so much for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill, for leading us in our scripture reading. Appreciate that very much. How many of you know what a megaphone is? I'm sure some of you, if not all of you, you're familiar with a megaphone. A megaphone is a, uh, it's a device that is often used to amplify or even intensify people's voices. In fact, I just so happen to have a megaphone with me. Uh, it's a, a, a battery-powered megaphone. Looks like this, and uh, if we turn it on here. Hey, can you hear me? Is it working? No? Somebody use... Oh, there. Hey, now you can hear me. Right, so, so it works like this. Let's go... I knew, I knew I would get a response in that way today. Let's try it. Let's go. No, yes. And then we could say, Lord, help the chiefs today. Oh, help, help them, Lord. But you get the idea. You can speak into this. In fact, I used one of these uh, when I was a youth pastor. And at summer camps, I would lead the teens in games outside to get their attention. Uh, in fact, Kirk Polo even uses this now at our Easter extravaganza to get the kids' attention. And uh, it's, it's a device, as you can see, to amplify one's voice, a megaphone. It, it's, it, the purpose is to let people hear you loud and clear. And that's what God does. It's what he does with his mercy, and it's what God does with his grace. And he does that, as we're going to see this morning, through the, the conversion or the transformation, the salvation of Saul here. When it comes to God's mercy and grace, most people think one of two things. Most people tend to think either A, that they're too bad and they don't qualify for God's mercy and grace, or they think, hey, I'm too good and I don't need God's mercy and grace. But what we're going to see here this morning is that whether you think you're too bad or you're too good, God's mercy and grace is for you. And to communicate this truth loud and clear, God uses the conversion of Saul as a megaphone for his mercy and grace for you. Saul, who uh, is, his name is later changed to Paul, and uh, he even writes here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. In other words, get this, God had you in mind when He saved Saul. Now that's an awesome thought. And yet that's what it says here, which means that the worst of sinners is saved for you. You say, why? Well, if you want to take notes here and follow along in the handout that's in your bulletin, uh, you can do so or just look on the screen. Saul's conversion to Jesus Christ is a megaphone to amplify God's mercy and grace for you. Saul's conversion to Jesus Christ is, is, is one of the greatest conversion stories in all of Christianity. In fact, his story is so significant that it's recorded three different times right here in the book of Acts. 
And so God wants us to kind of lean into this story. God wants us to, to hear this story loud and clear. He wants us to take notice that there's hope for you. And he wants you personally this morning to hear his grace and his mercy for you through the story of the Saul. When Saul sat out for the city of Damascus, he was this, we could say almost, uh, this religious terrorist. His intention was to intimidate and ultimately eliminate every Christian he could find. Saul was chasing Christians, but what he didn't realize was God was chasing him. And so on that road to Damascus, Saul ran into the Jesus that he was persecuting. And by the time it was all said and done, Saul the terrorist was converted to the very faith that he had set out to destroy. Now, that, this is just utterly amazing. And yet, this is the radical mercy and grace of God in the, at work in the life of Saul. In fact, he is changed from murderer to missionary. Saul was a persecutor of the church who was opposed to Christ, but he became a promoter of the church and proclaimed Christ. And what makes Saul's conversion so remarkable is that he was the last person in the world anyone would ever think would become a Christian. And yet, he did. One pastor and author writes, God wants us to see in this conversion that the most unlikely people can be converted and are converted. Think of the last person you'd ever expect to be a Christian. What, what person's name comes to your mind? What face comes, mental, mental image of their face comes to you even right now? The last person that you would ever think would turn away from their sin and turn to God for salvation. And then realize that no one is outside the reach of God's mercy and grace. Listen, if God can save Saul, then God can save anyone. God saved Saul as a megaphone to amplify his mercy and grace for you. And I pray this morning that you will hear loud and clear that mercy and grace. Which brings us to our first point here. Notice this. Hear God's mercy for you in his patience with Saul. Look again what Luke writes in Acts 9.1. It says, Then Saul... Now let's just stop there for a moment. Because who exactly is Saul? Well, Saul was a man who, unlike most first century Jews, he was not born in Jerusalem. Rather, he was born in Tarsus. Tarsus was a, was right, a city right above Israel in what would be even present-day Turkey. Saul was born into the loving home of Jewish parents. He, his father was a Roman citizen, which meant by birth, Saul uh, was a Roman citizen. As a young man, Saul's parents sent him then to Jerusalem to study under a Pharisee named Gamaliel, or not Gamaliel, but G getting tongue-tied tight here, a Pharisee, which means Saul would have gotten the best education that anyone could have gotten in that day. In fact, Saul was very well educated. He knew the Old Testament basically from cover to cover. He understood, he knew Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and he was passionate and he was zealous to uphold the Jewish traditions. He was passionate to live out his religious faith. 
And all of this gives us insight into, his, into God's patience with Saul. In fact, notice this, because of Saul's background, he was very, very religious. First and foremost, Saul was a Pharisee. And a very zealous one at that. And you say, well, what does it mean to be a Pharisee? Well, Pharisees followed all of God's laws, or at least they tried to. Everything that God commanded in the Old Testament, they followed religiously. And on top of that, Pharisees, they added their own laws and rules in an effort to be kind of these perfect people in relation to God. And Saul was passionately committed to this works-based religion. He was the Pharisees of Pharisees, if you would say. He even writes about this later on in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4-6. through 6, He says, if, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, he says, hey, I got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, he uses the word, I was faultless. I was blameless. In other words, he was the best of the best when it came to being a Pharisee. And so when the first century Christians came now proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Saul's life as a Pharisee was threatened by its message of mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. After all, if it's true that a person is saved by faith alone in Christ alone, and not by keeping the works of the law, the soul, Saul's, his whole life is shattered. Everything he believes in just comes crashing down. And so as a religious Pharisee, Saul saw Christianity as a threat to his own religion. It was a threat to everything he put his hope in, his belief system in. And so he attacked it now with zealousness with passion in fact that brings us to his brutality it helps us understand why he was so brutal in fact he was a very dangerous man and that's why Luke writes here in verse 4 I mean verse 1 of this chapter Acts 9 he says then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord Saul is still breathing threats and murder from the first time we met him at the end of Acts 7, when, when he is approving of the murder of Stephen. In fact, we're told there that he's actually holding the coats, or, or the, these guys that, that threw stones at Stephen, they, they lay his coats at Saul's feet, and he's standing in approval over the stoning of Stephen. Saul's still breathing threats of murder in Acts 8, verse 3, when it says Saul was ravaging the church. In entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And Saul is still breathing threats and murder against Christians here in Acts 9. One commentator writes, threats and murder were the atmosphere in which he breathed and by which he lived. And so Saul, if you can imagine this with me, he's almost like a war horse who sniffed the smell of battle, and now he's galloping to Damascus to intimidate and eliminate as many Christians as he can find. Saul was the most zealous of the Jews, and he saw clearly what a threat these Christians were who claimed to be following, quote, the way. That is the way of life found in Jesus Christ. 
Saul had smelled the blood of these persecuted Christians. And let me tell you, it was an aroma that he craved and that he desired. In fact, Saul was so thirsty for their blood that according to verses 1 and 2, the rest here, it says he went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so what you have here at the beginning of this chapter is Luke is describing something. He's describing the character and the the intent and the passion of this man Saul. And so he has murder in his heart. And with this murder in his heart, Saul is willing to travel now 150 miles from Jerusalem to the city of Damascus so that he could find more Christians to assault and arrest. This is a very dangerous man. We are face to face with the persecutor of the church, and it's a terrifying sight. Saul is violently opposed to Jesus Christ and his followers, and now he's on the way to Damascus to hunt them down, bring them back to Jerusalem, and even have some of them killed. Men and women, he shows no mercy. And yet, and yet, Mercy is what God shows Saul in his patience with him. Saul was a very religious but dangerous man who was not only on his way to Damascus, but folks understand, he was on his way to hell when God intervened in his life and rescued him from his sin. Saul, again, later on, after this experience, He writes in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, that God had set him apart before he was even born. Which means, up to this point in his life, all his life was one long rejection of Jesus Christ. But God was patient with Saul. God was showing him mercy day after day in his life. And so I plead with you, do you hear God's mercy for you? in God's patience with Saul. Paul, again, later on, he writes in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 4, he, and he, he phrases it in a question. He says, Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness or not knowing that God's mercy is meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, the whole reason God was merciful and was showing Paul patience was to lead him and to bring him to this very point in the book of Acts on the Damascus Road. Listen, the mercy of God towards you and towards me is the very reason we're still alive, even though we are sinners by birth and by choice, is so that God might show you His patience and lead you to repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. Saul's conversion, in other words, is a megaphone for God's mercy for you. Hear it loud and clear this morning. If God can reach down and change Saul from murderer to missionary, then God can reach down and change anyone. So again, hear God's mercy for you. But also hear God's grace. Hear God's grace for you. 
in his power to save Saul. What happens to Saul is truly amazing. In fact, his conversion was so dramatic. In fact, it was as dramatic as his threats were violent. One pastor writes, what began as a mission of persecution ended with the conversion of the persecutor. One, one author writes, the very same mouth which had been breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples was now breathing out praises and prayers to God. The raging lion has been changed into a bleeding lamb. Now, there are some very unique things here about Saul's conversion. This was no ordinary conversion. I mean, there's some supernatural stuff that's taking place here. I mean, you got this blinding light from heaven. You have the audible voice of Jesus himself speaking out to Paul, Saul. His eyes are physically blinded, and, and then they're later healed by this man who, who lays hands on him, and it's like these scales begin to fall off of Saul, and he now sees again. I mean, this is some wild stuff going on. And by no means should we expect this to be the normal way that God saves people today. And yet, at the same time, there are some essential elements of Saul's conversion that are still true for us today. In fact, I want to I show you four of these things. Notice, number one, God's power to save Saul. Saul was confronted by Jesus Christ. Saul was on his way to accomplish his dastardly deed when out of the blue, he's confronted by Jesus himself. Luke describes it this way in verses 3 through 5. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground. We know, reading later on in Acts 22, that this encounter actually took day at midday. And we learn from Acts 26 that the light that shone on Paul was brighter than the sun. Because, well, after all, it was the sun. It was the Son of God that was encountering and confronting Saul. And so no wonder Saul falls to the ground. Listen, if you had been there on that, probably Saul was riding a horseback, you would have fell to the ground too. This proud man is now humbled before the very Son of God and perhaps already recognizing that he was absolutely wrong about everything that he believed about Jesus. And perhaps even now he's beginning to realize this. And Saul heard a voice saying to him in verse 4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul answered back in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now this is powerful. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't ask him, why are you persecuting the church? Jesus asks, why are you persecuting me? Think about this with me for a moment. Saul thought he was persecuting who? Or what? He thought he was persecuting the church or Christ followers. But Jesus has so united himself to his church that they are one and the same. As one author puts it, while Saul was hitting the church, Jesus was actually feeling the pain. Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is the body of Christ. This truth actually would become Saul's calling card as later on he would write so many of the books of the New Testament as he would then write about the very nature of the church. 
And so think with me through this a little bit. If you belong to the church, you belong to Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus so identifies with his people that if you mess with them, you mess with Jesus. Why? Because the church is the body of Jesus Christ. But what's also interesting is the New Testament tells us that that the church is also the bride of Christ. We are his bride, which means there is no separation between love for Jesus and commitment to his church. In other words, you can't love Jesus and hate his bride. I mean, that's like telling me, Bruce, you know what, man? I, I think you're kind of a cool guy. I, I kind of enjoy your company. And I like hanging out with you. And in fact, I'd like for you to come over for dinner and let's, let's watch the Royals game this afternoon. And, uh, but you know, your wife, man, can you kind of leave her at home? Because, well, I can't stand her. And I'd be like, well, what's up with that? We're one flesh. You can't like me and hate my wife. We're, we're, we're one flesh. I say this because too many people today say they love Jesus, but are only marginally involved in the church, the body of Christ. And Jesus is saying to you, as he said to Saul on that road to Damascus, why are you persecuting me? Why are you not committed to me? Why are you treating me like a one-night stand? Remember, Jesus died for the church, and he loves the church. And folks, he is coming back for the church. So why would you not commit yourself to the church? Some of you need to do that. You need to join the church. You need to get involved in the church. You need to be a contributing member of the church. Jesus is coming back for the church. And I can't wait for that glorious day. Saul was hunting Christians to kill them, but God was hunting Saul to save him by revealing his son, Jesus Christ, to him. Let me ask you a question here. Have you been confronted by the truth of Jesus Christ? The gospel of Jesus Christ? Has it, has it kind of just confronted you, hit you, opened up your heart then to your need for Jesus Christ? Have you been confronted by the fact and the reality and the truth that Jesus Christ is the Savior who died on the cross for your sins? And He is alive today and He is able to save anyone who will come to Him in repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. Have you been confronted by that truth, by that gospel? To where it's brought you to your knees and you couldn't help but cry out to God, save me. I need Jesus. I need him so desperately in my life because I can't save myself. I've tried being good enough. I've tried doing this. I've tried that. And it comes up empty every time. I need Jesus. Second, Saul was convicted by the Spirit. It didn't take long for Jesus to break through the wall of Saul's unbelief. He intended to save Saul, and by his grace, that is just what Jesus did. He saved him. Look what Jesus says next in Acts 9, 5. Then the Lord said, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Now, some of your Bibles may not have that phrase or that sentence in your version of the Bible that you have in your lap right now. That is actually also said later on where Paul Uh, recounting this event, he records it in Acts 26, 14. Some of your versions include it here. 
Either way, it happened. Paul records it. It's inspired. And so that's kind of an odd phrase, though. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. What does that mean exactly? What's that talking about? Well, a goad is a long... And by the way, I, I had to look all this up because I'm not a cowboy, I'm not a farmer or anything like that. Um, a goat, now Bill Bowman here, he's from Kansas, farmer. He'd know what it is. He's shaking his head, no he doesn't. A goat, a goat is a long stick that a farmer would use to prod an ox or even a cow to keep it moving while plowing a field. And so as you can imagine, sometimes the ox didn't like being prodded with this stick. And so he would kick against it. And so the question then becomes, well, what was prodding Saul? What had been prodding him all along? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly. But perhaps the Spirit was using even the death of Stephen. Perhaps uh, the Spirit was using the way these persecuted Christians suffered for their Savior. And as Paul sees this, man, it doesn't make sense to him. He's not getting it. These goads were, in other words, bothering Saul poking him and prodding him to open his heart to see Jesus as the Messiah, but he's kicking against it. That is, until Jesus confronted him and until the Spirit of God convicted him. And in an instant, all of Saul's resistance was gone. Get this, the fiercest opponent of the gospel tapped out. He just tapped out before the overwhelming power of God's saving grace. No longer was Saul thirsty for the blood of Christians. Man, he longed for the blood of Jesus Christ to save him from his sins. Acts 9.6 tells us Saul's response to all this. It says, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Just tell me, Lord, and I'll do it. And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Outwardly, Saul fell to the ground. But let me tell you, inwardly, Saul surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, willing to do whatever he said. That's the power of God's saving grace. No more was he a fighter of Christ. He is now a follower of Christ, willing to do whatever Jesus told him to do. Saul's conversion, yes, it was sudden and it was unexpected. He wasn't ripe for the picking, as they sometimes say. He was way beyond picking. You would never pick this piece of fruit. It was shriveled up. It was dead. You would never cast your eye on it. And yet, he was confronted by Jesus. He was convicted by the Spirit while he was still breathing murderous thoughts. This should give us great cause for hope about those who appear to be indifferent or even hostile to the gospel. There's no telling what God's saving grace can do in an instant in your life or in someone else's life. Which brings us to our third point here. Saul was comforted by the church. The very Christ Saul had persecuted reached down to save him. That's grace, folks. And now the very church Saul had persecuted reached out to comfort him and welcome him. And that too is grace. This happened initially through a disciple in Damascus whose name was Ananias. Look what it says in verses 7 through 9. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. That is, journeyed with Paul, or Saul, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. 
But they led him to the hand and brought him to Damascus, and he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now notice what happens next. And as we read this portion of the scripture, put yourself in Ananias' shoes here for a moment. Look what it says in verses 10 through 12. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And that's when Ananias says, Say what, Lord? Because for a minute there I thought you said Saul of Tarsus. Yeah, good one. So Ananias says in verses 13 and 14, Lord, Hey, listen, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now, folks, stop here for a minute, because Ananias, his points are valid. Saul was public enemy number one. His reputation as a dangerous man preceded him, and everyone knew why He was coming to the city of Damascus. But the Lord reassured Ananias in verses 15 and 16. He says, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And look at Ananias' response. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of the grace of God that you can find. In verse 17, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Can't you just hear the grace of God in those words? Brother Saul. How sweet those words must have sounded to the ears of Saul. This is huge. The word brothers here, is what the early Christians would somewhat call each other to identify and even recognize their status of being adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And Ananias is recognizing this. And he's identifying Saul as now one of those brothers who is like him in the family of God. Ananias calls Saul a brother in Christ. How comforting that must have been for Saul as his sight was restored and he was filled with the Spirit and baptized as a public confession and sign of his saving faith in Jesus Christ. One commentator writes, to be counted as a brother in Christ after his attempts to ruin the church must have suffused his soul with astonishment and joy. What a blessed introduction to Christian fellowship. There was no word of reproach for his persecuting activities, only a hearty welcome into the fold. And according to verse 19, somebody cooked Saul a good meal, and then he spent some days with the disciples there in Damascus. Which means, get this, from the moment of his conversion, Saul loved the church, and the church loved Saul. He was comforted by the church. He was welcomed into the church. He was now a brother in the family of God. That is amazing. That is grace. Do you hear that kind of grace for your life? But not only that, look at this. Saul was confirmed by life change. 
no doubt there would be many who would question the authenticity of Saul's conversion to Christ. But true conversion is always confirmed by life's change. And the radical change in Saul's life after his conversion is a testament to the reality of God's saving grace in his life. In fact, look what it says there in verse 20. Immediately, what does Saul do? He preached or he proclaimed the Christ in the synagogues that he is the what? The Son of God. This is remarkable. Remember, Saul has been sent, get this, he's been sent to these very synagogues in Damascus with letters from the high priest giving him authority to arrest anyone who identified with the name of Jesus Christ. But when Saul finally made it to those very synagogues, he stood up and he proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ, testifying that he is the Son of God. Everyone in Damascus, I get it, I would be the same way. They may not have understood what exactly happened to Saul, but let me tell you, everyone could clearly see that something did happen in his life. Saul was radically changed by the grace of God. And if God can change Saul, folks, listen, God can change anyone by his mercy and grace. Saul's conversion, it's a megaphone. It's a megaphone for God's mercy and grace. And so I plead with you this morning to hear God's mercy for you and his patience with Saul. And to hear God's grace for you in his power to save Saul. In fact, I want you to not only hear, but I want you to see and hear God's grace and mercy in this video. And do you hear God's grace and mercy for you in the conversion of Saul and even in the conversion of Colin? Let me end with just a couple applicational points here. Your past does not disqualify you from God's saving grace. Listen to me, Saul was a murderer. And prior to Saul's conversion, you would look at him and you would say, he'll never get saved. And yet Saul's past did not disqualify him from God's saving grace. Saul would later write in 1 Timothy 1, verses 13 through 14, in his own words, he says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I like what one pastor says. He says, conversion is a dual realization. I'm worse than I ever dreamed, and he is more gracious than I ever hoped. And that's why it's called amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. No one is beyond God's grace. Your past does not disqualify you from God reaching out to you in his mercy and grace. Do you hear God's mercy and grace for you? Your past, also number two, does not disqualify you from God's future service. Saul was a murderer who God used as the greatest missionary in all of Christianity. God, the Lord tells Ananias in Acts 9.15, Go, for he, that is Saul, is a chosen vessel of mine 
to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. In other words, the Lord was, was saying here, I know what Saul has done. I know all about him. I know about his past. And so remove that label and give him a new one. He's now a chosen vessel of mine. Folks, this is true for all who are saved in Jesus Christ. What label is attached to your life from your past? Listen, in Christ, you have a new label. You are not that person anymore. You are not who your past says you are. You are who God says you are. And you may be wondering, well, who in the world does God say that I am? Get this, Paul, who was Saul at this time? He writes later on, his own words, he writes in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. He says, for by grace have you been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then listen, he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let me ask you again, what label looms over your life? What makes you feel disqualified? Your past does not disqualify you from God's service. God wants to use you as a chosen vessel to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you hear God's mercy for you? Do you hear God's grace for you? God is shouting. And the question is, have you not only heard it, but have you received it in the person of Jesus Christ? With your heads bowed. And as we pray, let me encourage you, if you have not come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, to, to cry out to Him, to confess your sins, to repent of your sins, and ask Jesus to save you. Dear Heavenly Father, let us hear loud and clear Your mercy and grace for us. Let us hear Your mercy for us and Your patience with Saul. Let us hear Your grace for us and Your power to save Saul. But more than just here, we ask that this hearing would lead us to humble ourselves before You in repentance of our sin and to put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And having been changed by Your mercy and grace, may it now lead us to leave here proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, let us never lose the wonder of your amazing grace. We're going to do something a little different here this morning in how, what our normal response time is. I'm going to ask you to stand. And the praise team here is going to lead us in singing the hymn, Amazing Grace. And if you need to respond, you're welcome to come to this altar and respond. Otherwise, I ask that you would sing out in appreciation and in gratitude of the grace of God that is shown to you in His Son, Jesus Christ.